What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 38, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Serpent Song. That's a lot of Serpent essence. Song. Serpent Song. Well, I guess it makes sense, right? Snakes hiss. Serpent, Serpent song. song. It is It is very onomatopoeia. An- onomatopoeia, that's right. Okay. Uh, I was trying to make a segue <laughs> into onomatopoeia and how you can find us on Google Play Podcasts and on Apple Podcasts. And when you find us, you can give us five-star ratings and uh, re- leave us ratings and reviews because that helps people find us. And then on Spotify, you can uh, hit the little heart button right there, click a thing like that. But I couldn't think of a way to segue between onomatopoeia and you can find us on Google Play Podcasts and on Apple Podcasts. When you find us, rate and review us with five stars and you can leave a review because that's how people find us. And on Spotify Podcasts, you can click the little heart buttons right there, dick, click, ding. I couldn't think of a way, Zach. So you didn't? No. Uh, no, I couldn't. Uh, so but y- I'm yeah. pulling up our, uh, our, our podcast feed here, uh, and it says we currently have 118 subscribers. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> now, <laughs> I'm guessing that that's padded by some ghosts in there, but, Shh. you know, we may have actually broken 100 people listening, Brent. Yeah. We are about there's, ready to uh, take over the world because 100 is uh, close to 7 billion. Trillion. Well, we got Billion, we got factors of ten that are standing in the way, but you know, like, <laughs> what's a factor of ten between friends? You know, <laughs> you say potato, I say tomato. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! So, uh, so Zach, um, you know, if somebody wants to tell me how I could have segued between an onomatopoeia, and if you want to find us, you can find us on Google Play Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. When you find us, rate us and review us with a five star rating and leave the review because that's how people find us. And on Spotify, you can click the little hype, uh, little heart button right there. Click. How would they do that, Zach? Well, you could do that in many different ways. Uh, you could hypothetically tweet us at Stargate Walking. However, uh-huh. uh, you only have like 140 characters, and that might be challenging to do. Um, but it could be done. So if you can do yes. that, you can Twitter us at Stargate Walking. <laughs> Twitter yeah. us. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so good at this social media yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's all right. I'm right okay. there with you, buddy. However, if you need more than 140 characters or so, uh, you can go to Facebook, to the Walking Through the Stargate Facebook group, and tell the whole world how we really messed up this opportunity to uh, shift from onomatopoeia to all that Brent said. I'm not going to repeat that. That's okay. Uh, for, I got it. for your benefit as mine. Um <laughs> Uh, so you go to our Facebook group, Walking Through the Stargate at Facebook. No, just Walking Through the Stargate group. Yeah, it's just, it's uh, we also have a Facebook page, so go there and hit, click that like button and the follow button and all of that stuff. Or you can email us at mm-hmm. walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. That's W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-D-H-E-S-T-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. <laughs> I hope you got that, friends. <laughs> it's exactly as it should be. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't forget the at and gmail.com part. Yeah, if you just type in walking through the Stargate and you don't put anything else on there, it's not going to be, it's not going to work out. Truth, truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how you can get a hold of us and tell us where we're weird and crazy and <laughs> how we missed opportunities, um, <laughs> all of those things, um, and do that. Cool. Mm-hmm. So, Brent, shall we dig into Serpent Song? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Serpent Song is directed by Peter DeLuise. This is his very first directing credit of the Mm -hmm. series, but it Mm -hmm. won't be his last. Okay. Peter has a total of over 50 directing credits, plus more than a dozen writing credits. Wow. Wow. um, He has one more directing credit this season, and then Uh it just goes on from there. Uh, So Peter DeLuise... Brad Wright, Robert C. Cooper, and Martin Wood kind of become probably the four most influential people on the production side of SG-1. Oh, cool. So, And this uh, is the beginning of Peter's, uh, Peter's time. Yep. Yep, nice. this is the beginning of his time. Uh, he was born Peter John DeLuise on November 6, 1966 in New York. Uh, he's an American actor, director, producer, screenwriter, He's known for his role as Officer Doug Penhall on the series 21 Jump Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, for directing and writing episodes of various science fiction shows, especially Stargate. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. He is the son of Dom DeLuise and Carol oh. Arthur. Okay. Uh, so I'm sure you recognize that name. Yes, I do. Um, he also has two younger brothers, David and Michael. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a little bit of a spoiler, we will see Peter's dad and his brothers, I think both of them, in Stargate at some point in time along the way. Oh, yeah? Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, one of the things that Peter is known for is putting himself in a cameo role in each of the episodes he directs, sort of a uh-huh. uh, Alfred Hitchcock st- type thing. Sure. Um, and I, this is his first one, and I don't think he actually snuck into this one. Uh-huh. But from moving on, so the next episode this season and everything else that he directs afterwards, uh, he's in the background somewhere. He's holding a wrench. He's uh, shooting a gun. He's uh, uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's okay. in there somewhere. So we'll have to uh, look It'll for like, him Waldo? in the future. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Martin Wood does that same type of thing as well mm-hmm. as the series progress. Uh, the teleplay is by Catherine Powers. No way. I am serious. This is I by your best friend and mine. Oh, my gosh. I did not notice that. So, okay, that's good to know. That's, yeah. that's really good to know. Yeah, this is her third episode this season. She did Thor's Chariot, and yeah. she did Family. Yeah. Um, and that's really all there is to say about Catherine at this point in time. Feel free to listen to our previous episodes uh, so you can learn all about how we have experienced life with Catherine Powers. And the Catherine uh, Powers scale. On, and the P- Catherine Powers scale. And you mm-hmm. start learning about that. Do we start talking about We don't talk about that in Emancipation. It's the next episode. No, no. There was no scale until I think at least the second one that she did. Maybe the third. Maybe the third one. Um, because she did Thor's hammer as well, didn't she? Thor's and we that hammer, was really good. And so then that just mm-hmm. kind of went. Anyway, that's Catherine. Uh, we've got guest actors William uh, William Peter Williams who plays Apophis and Terrell mm-hmm. Rothery who plays Doctor Frazier. Um, and uh, I I thought I'll just say here I thought Peter Williams did a tremendous job in this episode. Oh my gosh, we'll get there. We'll get we will there. get there. All right. The original air date for Serpent Song is February 12th, 1999. Mm-hmm. Number one on the charts is Angel of Mine by Monica. By Monica. Again. Again. Monica, she's and, all over the place at this point in time. I had no song. idea. So, I was realizing as we were going through this, I was like, you know, there was a spell there where, where the number one songs, I'm like, yep, remember that. I remember that. It was because I was in high school. It was a tail end of my high school career. I was listening to a lot more Top 40. Now we're into the beginning of my collegiate career. And not only had I completely just been like, top 40. Who, nah, ugh, ugh. I was listening to a lot more of like alternative rock music, you know, like I would oh, pull yeah. up the alt rock stations or whatever. And so like stuff that was on top 40, I just was completely oblivious to. So I don't remember Angel of Mind by Monica at all. Well, and this is at the tail end of my, well, this would be during my third year of college mm-hmm. if it was in february of 99 um and i you already know i didn't listen to much music to begin with and in college i <laughs> listened to even less <laughs> uh so in the u.s they were listening apparently to angel of mine by monica in the uk yep. they were listening to maria by blondie okay still don't know i still don't know anything about that uh in the movies we were watching message in a bottle Payback. No, we weren't. We already watched that episode. Hey, <laughs> pretty sure it's a different one than that. Nah, they just they just made it into a, a ninety minute feature, put it up there, and it's number one in the U.S. Okay, as I recall, I think they padded <laughs> that episode already as it was. <laughs> Sorry, I'm derailing us. I'm just being silly now. Okay, I'll stop. Oh no, don't, don't stop being silly, but do don't let stop. me get through this. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, number one was Message in a Bottle. It's brand new this week. Number two was Payback. It was number one last week. Number three is My Favorite Martian. Uh, that was a new uh, movie this week. Number four, She's All That, uh, fell from number two. And rounding out the top five is Blast from the Past. So, we had three <laughs> movies that were brand new this week that made the top five. I got a, I, I, my gosh, I was living in a cocoon. I don't remember 
much of any of these. I don't. Think I remember when my favorite Martian came out. I don't think I've ever seen it. I'm confident that if I like looked at the trailers, I'd be like, "Oh my gosh, that movie! I forgot yep. all about that." Right? Like, I'm pretty sure that's what I should do. That I'll do that later. There you go. Uh, what was happening around the 12th of February, 1999? On the 10th, it was the 49th Berlin International Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And at that festival, the Thin Red Line wins the Golden Bear Award. Hmm. Uh, on the 11th, Pluto moves further away from the sun than Neptune, regaining its status as the solar system's outermost planet. A title it will uh, retain for 228 years until such time as roughly 10 years later they decide that uh, Pluto's not a planet any. You are making me sad. I was hoping that you would not bring that up. I'm I was sorry. happy that we've that 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 in this little blurb it is it is it is the status of but planet. But in 1999, it is an established planet. Yes, we are part of a nine-planet solar system in 1999. Nine that we know of. That we know of. Fair enough. I mean, uh, I'm all for just keeping on adding them. Like, Ceres is a dwarf planet. Add it as a planet. It's number 10. Okay, you know? sure. So let's just change all of the moons of Jupiter and Saturn to no, planets, too. those are moons. Those ah, are not but, orbiting the sun. Well, we, we can call them whatever we want, right? No. No, there's a oh. standard, and that well, standard what, what about ignored. the asteroid belt? Is the asteroid belt a series of planets? They're orbiting no. the sun. They have a definition that they have to they have to have a spheroid shape, and they have to have cleared out their local orbit. Okay, but there are certain definitions of planet <laughs> that Pluto has failed to maintain. I don't really sounds care. to me like the, our definitions need adjustment, don't they? Hey-o. Oh, okay, so now we're just going to change the meaning of our words willy-nilly, such that things like literally means figuratively. I love how you went from uh, altering the definition of what a planetary object should be all the way to the end of that things mean nothing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we do, Brent. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Moderation? <laughs> More like smoderation. I have no horse in this race. I don't care two things about Pluto one way or the other. One way or the other. Sorry. Okay, carry on. All right. On February 12th, so this is actually the day this episode airs, the U.S. Mm -hmm. President Bill Clinton was acquitted by the U.S. Senate in his impeachment trial. Yay. Wow, that sounds like I have an opinion. I just was like, no, this, this thing was like... This was by far the most consuming political drama that was we were happening having at the time. And in hindsight, my gosh, it looks so quaint. It just looks so quaint. Oh, well, frankly, yeah, I'm not, not going to get into it. It was just, it was stupid and silly and ridiculous. Um, I definitely felt like it was stupid, silly and ridiculous at the time, but it also felt um, important. Right. It was it felt very silly that we were having this this moment, but that like, you know, impeachments, of, you know, investigation of a president on high crimes and misdemeanors is not a light matter. And we were like, holy That's cow. True. I mean, the, the real question, though, the, the, the big issue with this one is, is that the whole issue stemmed around uh, whether or not he lied about having sex with a woman. Right. Um, and while that certainly is a lie, and if you're under oath and you say, I didn't, when you did, that is a lie, and that's a problem, blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, ultimately, none of that has anything to do with his job as the president. Correct. At least that's my, that's, that is, yes. That, that, that's my take on it. Um, yeah. There's a reasonable argument that goes the other way that says that, um, that the moral character of an individual has a lot to do with their capacity to make those types of decisions that we entrust with the office of the president Uh and that, and that, uh, and that, um, uh, sexual misconduct is a proxy for understanding what kind of character that person has. I disagree with that argument, but I respect that, that idea. But that said, again, you know, think about what has happened in the world in the 20 years since. And it's like, wow, we really had it good. Then our biggest problem was whether or not a president lied about whether he had sex with somebody. That was our biggest problem back then. That that was certainly what we worried about. 
that and the end of the world in 2000. Maybe that was the oh, issue. Oh, that's right. Oh, I Maybe that's about the that. issue. We were so yeah. concerned that the world was going to end in 2000 uh, that, you know, having a president who lied about having sex is a real big deal. There you go. <laughs> we solved it. We only had a few months to get it right, Zach. Then the world was going to end. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, suffice it to say, the world <laughs> did not end 20 years ago. Nope. nope. Uh, all right. So on February 14th, Valentine's Day, 1999, oh, singer yeah. Prince divorces his belly dancer wife, Métis Garcia, after only two years of marriage. Happy Valentine's Day! Happy Valentine's Day! Here's your papers! <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Hmm. So, uh, that was what's, that's what was going on around the episode Serpent Song. A couple of trivia mm-hmm. things about the episode. Sure. Uh, the green pattern on the lower right-hand corner of Apophis' life science monitor mm-hmm. is actually an oscilloscope representation of a composite video signal. Oh. Which, that's kind of cool. The way they just use weird things to, you know, mark other weird things. I kind of wonder what video signal it was. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Now that I know that. Um, Anyway. Also, this episode features a very unusual visual effect. Uh, This is the camera and the digital image panning backward through the wormhole. as Colonel. uh, I, I... you know, as I was typing this, I had forgotten that that happened, and I made sure to watch for it. And I'm like, that's a really cool visual effect. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, yeah, I, I just think it's a really cool effect. And I don't think we see it again, but kudos to DeLuise oh. for, for doing something yeah. cool and unique. Yeah. Um, when Dr. Jackson describes Sokar as the original Satan, Jack responds, well, isn't that special? And both of those are catchphrases of Dana Carvey's church lady character from Saturday uh-huh. Night Live. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, isn't that special? Well, yeah. isn't that special? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did. Uh, there, there was a, there was a couple of uh, lines in there, like the speak of the devil. Line. I mean, it was it was all right. There was a yeah. couple things in there. There was like, yep, yep, I see what you're doing, and it's kind of funny. I approve. Yep. Um, the effect of the two death gliders flying over the sand dune. Uh, at the very beginning, is a mm-hmm. reuse from the original Stargate film. Oh, um, I didn't. I don't remember. Okay, cool. So, there it is. I hadn't, I couldn't have, wouldn't have re- recognized or connected those two together, but that's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in my notes, I have story from an illustrated companion, and I realized that my illustrated companion is over there, so I'll be right <laughs> back. <laughs> okay. Wait, are you going off and getting it right now? Yeah. Zach is traversing the tra- traversing his household. He's trundling over hill and dale. <clears throat> his house is very big. Uh, he is fetching his uh, illustrated companion. He probably has it in hand, and he is undoubtedly approaching his mic once more. I am uh, back. Arriving safe and sound. Oh, there he is. Okay, hello, Zach. Hi, Brent. Uh, feel free to edit that out if you wish. No, that was great play-by-play. You can't. Oh, me? okay. You know, I realized that I'm like, ooh, I'll like trip over things and, and make funny noises. And then I realized, like, wait a second. Well, I can hear Brent through my AirPod. Uh, yes. Nobody else can hear me because nope. I'm not anywhere near my mic. <laughs> uh, so in the Illustrated Companion, uh, these are some uh, thoughts from Peter DeLuise. Um, and uh, he really enjoyed this episode. One of the things... Uh, that he thought was really amazing was uh, uh, Peter Williams' work on there. And uh, just think about that. For the entire episode, he was literally strapped to that bed. Yeah. And he couldn't move. And then uh, near the end, as he's get the old age comes, he gets those cataract uh, mm-hmm. contacts. And this mm-hmm. is something I didn't realize until I was reading this. Or, but at least in 1990s, when you had those cataract contacts, they effectively made you blind. Oh, like he really couldn't see through them at all. Like he really couldn't see. So now you have this guy who's acting while he can't see, and he's Uh strapped to a bed. Yeah, Um, yeah, right? (laughs) And uh, so um, Peter DeLuise spends a lot of time uh, throughout the whole recording process coming up to to Williams and making sure that he was okay, you know, just kind of touching his arms and say, you're good, we're good, all of this stuff. And... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just making sure that uh, he didn't feel like he was utterly lost and alone. However, 
<laughs> Whilst all that is very laudable, now I'm quoting from here, Peter Williams reveals the director played at least one practical joke on him. At the very end of the episode, after the last scene was shot, Peter had everyone shut down the cameras, turn out the lights, and just walk off the set, Williams recalls. I was still strapped to the gurney. I lay there calling out, guys, guys, for several minutes before they finally came back and let me in on the joke. I still haven't figured out how to pay him back for that one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. So uh, they had some fun there. Yep. Uh, There are a couple of goofs in this episode. Um I was looking for this one, but I missed it. At about the 30 minutes, 35 minute mark, uh, there is a view of the monitor uh, connected to Apophis. And in the lower right of it, uh, I think it's the lower right, you can actually see patient Jacob Carter. And, uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. Whoops. So, you know, reuse of, of, of things there. Yeah. Um, Apparently, I missed this one, too. Just after Martouf asks Dr. Frazier what she was injecting Apophis with, uh, we see her take off her left glove. And then the shot changes, and it goes back to her, and we see her take her left glove off again. She had to do it twice. Yeah. It just didn't work the first time. Didn't work the first time. No. Oh, and I missed this one, too. Dang it, man. When uh, Teal pulls the blanket off the face of the dead Apophis, uh, Peter Williams opens his eyes and blinks once. Oh, I didn't notice that either. I missed that one. I did notice, and I thought this was kind of weird, is that there was there was apparently a symbol on that blanket that looked like it was Apophis' symbol. The, yeah, there was definitely some symbol-y thing. And, well, and I'm like, like if that's Apophis' symbol, I mean, it, it's kind of cool, but why the heck would the SGC have it? Yeah, yeah, why the heck would they have it? Um Stick a pin in that. Yep. A pin is stuck. Stuck. There we go. There it is. All right. Shall we dig into the synopsis of Let's do this it. wonderful episode? Yes. Uh, well, I am getting better with my time, and I have gotten like two paragraphs edited. Nice. So Two is better than none. Two is better than none. Um, so we'll get to a spot where it'll shift gears, and it'll be all Wikipedia. And and you'll be doing free form uh, free form editing. Free form editing. SG one like, uh, sits. Oh, go. go go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Now I was just gonna make a beat poet joke, and it's, uh, it doesn't matter. All right. Oh, okay. Rock and roll, dude. Rock and roll. Here we goes. SG one sits by the Stargate on a desolate planet, waiting. They are waiting for the Tokra. At least that is who they believe sent the message that asked them to wait on this planet. While they are waiting and Jack is complaining about the Tok'ra, they look up and see a death glider coming towards them. Other gliders are right on its tail, trying to shoot it down. It crashes very close to the Stargate and SG-1, so close that uh, there seems to, would have been le- legitimate problems, but uh, let's not go into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when the team goes to check out the crash, they find their longtime adversary, Apophis, extremely wounded and begging for help. The team reluctantly brings him back to Earth. In the gate room, broken and bleeding, Apophis demands sanctuary. He is immediately rushed to the operating room as Dr. Frazier does everything she can to save his life. Assessing the injuries, Captain Carter recognizes them as having come from the same device, a Harakesh, that was used to torture her when she was the brief host of Jolinar of Malkshire. The SGC discusses how to best interrogate the prisoner, but it's not too long before the Tok'ra actually come knocking on the door. I mean, gate, knocking on the gate. Uh, Martouf and a couple of unnamed Tok'ra who stalwartly stand there quietly arrive. Their message, return Apophis to the planet where you found him immediately. And now we get to simply uh, the Stargate Command wiki. In desperation, (laughs) (laughs) he asks for a new host, but Colonel Jack O'Neill quickly tells him to go to hell. Apophis then reveals that he was defeated by a ghoul named Sokar, who is an old and extremely powerful ghoul who once lived on Earth, where he posed as Satan. That's not quite true, um, but anyway. 
Right. Be, he posed as a satanic-like uh, god in the Egyptian pantheon, uh, right. and Even it is then, Daniel be... who makes the, the yes. connection to that Egyptian pantheon to what Christians would call Satan today. It's a big jump, and you screwed it up, Wiki. Wiki, I'm okay. you did wrong. Because of this, Martuf and Lantash, same person, different voices, uh, try to persuade SG-1 and General Hammond to send Apophis back to Sokar, but Hammond refuses. Soon after, the, SG, uh, the Stargate activates with Sokar on the other end, who demands his prisoner be returned to him. And then we get into this whole big process of Sokar saying, hey, you must return him, you must return him, but I'm going to keep you on hold so you can't. Oh, yeah. No, All right, anyway. Yes. Anyway. I noticed that. Yep, okay. So, when the SGC dismisses his demand, Sokar begins firing a particle accelerator through the gate. Uh, to be fair, Sokar began firing the, before he would have recognized that the SGC dismissed his demands. But who's counting? Uh, we're not counting here. Oh, yeah. Uh, these, this particle acceleration uh, began heating up the iris to dangerous levels. The SGC resorts to spraying the iris with liquid nitrogen, but its effect is minimal. And I have to say, if it is so hot that you're using liquid nitrogen to cool it down, dang. You're, you're getting into, you're, you're, you're doing analysis. Oh, 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 wait. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Daniel Jackson suggests dialing out between attacks, exploiting the 38-minute window. A the time a Stargate can stay open without additional energy. Uh, but unfortunately, Sokar easily reopens the gate faster than the SGC, as a dial-home device can dial much faster than the SGC's dialing computer, and he resumes his attack. Over time, every member of SG-1 talks with Apophis. Daniel asks him for his wife, Sharae, and also reveals to Apophis that it was him, not Harrower, who stole the child of Apophis and Amunet. Teal'c happily watches his former master experience pain. He even temporarily stops Fraser when she wants to help him, and tells him that one day all Jaffa will be free. To end Sokar's attack, it is decided to allow Apophis to die and return him to the planet where he was found. Rapidly aging and weakening, Apophis can no longer control the host body, and Apophis's host emerges and speaks with Daniel before his death. Daniel gives him the Egyptian funeral that the host would have normally received. Sam creates a new rapid dialing program that establishes a wormhole before Sokar can attack a third time. Once the wormhole is open, the corpse is passed through the gate, and Sokar ceases his attack, apparently satisfied. Martouf reveals that Sokar will surely revive Apophis with the sarcophagus to torture him as long as he wants. With the threat from Sokar gone... The Tok'ra give General Hammond a Tolan inverted phase communicator to contact them with. In return, Jack gives them a GDO for future contact. The end. The end. So, Brent. Mm-hmm. Serpent Song. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? Well, I'm gonna um I'm gonna pause that for just a beat. And we're going to have some 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 on the fly adjustment uh, of programming because Zach, I want to give you a moment since I was so uh, bent on keeping the analysis and the analysis part. Yes, uh, turning it on you real fast. Oh, okay. Knowing now that you didn't have a chance to edit the rest of that uh, synopsis. Yes. Uh, was there anything about it that you wanted to adjust? Anything about that synopsis, or you know, because now it's kind of quasi analysis. Now it's quasi analysis. Well, okay. It, they they neglect the conversation that that. Uh, um, uh, Carter has with Apophis. They don't oh, really yeah. go into much of the detail between Jack and Apophis. Um, oh, right. Uh, th they mention it briefly in there. Um, we don't get any comment in there about how Martuf and Lantash just lays into him. My goodness, Lantash is harsh. Yes. Uh, um, but, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's fine. It, it does what it needs to do. It mostly tells you the correct story. It doesn't always tell it in the right order. Um, or with the right emphasis. Or with the right emphasis. Uh, but uh, there you go. That, that's, that's my... Quick yeah. edits. Quick yeah. edits on the fly. There's my quick edits on the fly. Yeah. Okay. All right. So. All right. So what did I think? 
<clears throat> All right. I like this one. <laughs> I like this one quite a lot. Um, part of the reason why I like this one so much was that it was really hitting my little bread and butter. You'll notice that the that the episodes that kind of do uh, work within the emotional sphere seem to be doing well with me. Like mm-hmm. that's those are the ones that I seem to like. And I very very much liked the complex uh, emotional work that was being done with the character of Apophis and his host. Uh, and the uh, and the SG one's team's reaction to Apophis, uh, reactions to his cries for asylum, reactions to his host, uh, reactions to uh, the demands of the Tokra or, or the advice of the Tokra. You know, like there was, a, um, you know, there was a little bit of techno babble that was going on. You know, a little bit of 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 uh, you know, good old fashioned television sci fi. We got a bad guy at the gates type of a thing with a little bit of overkill as far as like how we're taking care of it. Right, like right. Uh, uh, a, a a heating up problem that is so bad that you have to be spraying liquid nitrogen. <laughs> <laughs> that you have to be spraying. Side note, which would be, I think, almost impossible to actually literally spray the liquid so that it stayed liquid. By you know, by the time it got through the at, through the air, like you know what I mean. Like if if General Hammond is able to stand there with no protective gear, then the ambient temperature is such that as soon as the liquid nitrogen got out of the nozzle, it would immediately turn into a cloud of you know what I mean. Like it, it's just right. it's just we're we're not going to get into it, right? Um, uh, uh, but apparently, hey, we got to see that uh, Carter, um, how uh, we saw a sped up dialing process in the alternate reality. When when Jackson went through the Looking Glass, right? Um, but uh, I don't remember if we had been given such the Carter coming up with the enhanced dialing protocol felt like it m- might have been like, oh, she came up with it, or you know, like I'm not sure if I was being led along with that. But I there it is. Th- I think in I could be wrong, but in there, but for the grace of God, uh, which is right. the episode that that he that. Daniel goes back to that alternate reality. I think it's Carter in that one that that uh, is able to change the gate. Um, I mean, it so it totally fast. makes Here's sense. Here's my question on that. Yeah, is that um, she makes this correction in ten minutes yeah. time? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Or less. <laughs> and if yeah. this is such a simple change, yeah. yeah. A. Why <laughs> wasn't it done earlier? Yeah. Um. And B, why wasn't it done earlier? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Point one and point two being the same you know, point. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, I mean, when you actually see a DHD and you're like, oh, it goes boom, 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 boom. It's open. Okay, yeah. great. Uh, well, we don't have an actual DHD. But if I just spend 10 minutes in typing some new code, I can get my computer to go just that fast. I'm like... Do you think why not are the DHDs? Okay, so up till now we haven't been given any information, and so you might have just have to. All right, never. You do not react to this statement. Um, don't react at all. Okay. Uh, Earth does have a DHD. It's got one on the other Stargate, and so my question is: Well, you got a DHD. Why aren't you using it in Stargate Command? And now I'm thinking: Oh, maybe each DHD is unique to its own gate or something. Well, then, but then why not use the <laughs> why not use the other gate you just found? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, don't react just because there may be like this might this might be a thing. Like maybe okay. this comes up, maybe it doesn't. I actually don't want to know one way or the other. Like if we get all the way through all these seasons and they never rectify that, then I might feel disappointed. But you know. Okay. All right. Th- there is that. All right. So yeah, but Carter came up with the enhanced dialing uh, protocol. That's good. Brent, do you know yeah. how hard it is for me to not react? Yes. There is steam coming out of my ears right now steam is as I try to not react and, and, and say, oh, oh, but but don't worry, don't worry, whatever, or whatever the, should, the reaction uh, is. <sighs> yeah, you should uh, totally have somebody uh, pour some liquid nitrogen on you. That'll help. <laughs> Ouch. Stargate Scotty, he can help you. No, 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 I don't. Hey, you know who we haven't nitrogen? seen in a while? What? You know who we have not seen in a while is Radar. We have not seen Radar in a while. It's been a yeah. long time. Uh, I will promise I you this, that we will see Radar again. Uh, of this, I know. Not only does he have a name that I know I don't know yet, but he, we haven't been told in the, in the series yet. I also um, uh, accidentally stumbled, I, and, I, and I averted my eyes as quickly as I could. Uh, there's a Stargate con going on uh, this weekend, and uh, that actor is one of the panelists. And so 
I, before my eyes could even absorb the words on the page that undoubtedly told me the character name, I swiftly whisked myself away so that I remain unspoilt. Uh, and so, but I'm just I'm just acknowledging that I haven't seen his face in a little while. Yeah, I've noticed that uh, that it's been most of the season. We may maybe early on in the season, but we haven't seen him much at all. We've had. No. Um, uh, that one lieutenant who has googly eyes for for Carter. Yep. Um, yep. He's been around, and then the other lieutenant. Or I guess she's a lieutenant. Well, I don't know. Um, There's another. Uh, no, I think she's a. She's not an officer. I think she's just another staff sergeant or sergeant airman. or something like that. Anyway, all right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, we got those two. But yeah, we don't have radar. Either. Not radar. Right. Um, so anyway. Uh, things so the, the, so yeah so the things that I really 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 liked about this episode was um, P- Peter Williams was that his name yep uh, his act his portrayal of Apophis um, Apophis dying uh, you know Apophis defeated on the run dying Apophis trying to manipulate his way uh, through one more success um, Apophis uh, uh, the 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 everlasting God uh, coming to his final demise at the hands of the Tauri. Like there was so much about those moments and how the way that he was portraying it and his aging and the way that he was playing off of that. And then his moments as the host, uh, as a frightened host that just wants to see his family again and getting peace when told that his soul will be, you know, will be buried in Egypt and he'll go through the seven gates and he'll see his wife and children again. Wow, dude! Like that was really good. That was good writing. That was good directing. It was really good lighting. It was good effects. It was good acting. It was a great storytelling. And the makeup was really good as well. Uh, I was was especially paying attention. Uh, There were a couple of times where they got a full profile of him and as he's like lifting forward, he's staring at somebody. Yeah. I think maybe when he was looking at uh, Carter, Carter saying, hey, you've been blended. Yeah. At that point in time, I was like, oh, okay. You can now kind of see the plastic equality of the makeup, uh, but it didn't take me out of it. Um, no. And then, but when he lies back down and, and uh, it's like, gosh, you can't tell that there's makeup on that guy at all, hardly. Uh, so I, was, I suppose... That by my own definition, I was noticing the production of this episode. And so by my very definition, I, you know, it, it, it is now, quote, flawed, unquote, a little just because, like, for me, perfection is when I don't even notice it. But I tell you what, dude, like, this was, that was great. It was superb. It was mm-hmm. just excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I actually liked uh, the Tokra coming in here um, mm-hmm. and and joining the conversation and uh, while Lantash's uh, passionate plea was perhaps bordering on over the top. Um, yeah, that was a little, uh, but you know, peculiar. but then they, they, they hung a lantern on that as when, when, when Martouf comes back and says, Hey, forgive him. He's kind of passionate um, about things. And you know, it was believable. I mean, we all, we know that yes. the, the Gua old, uh, creatures, whether they're Tokra or not, are, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they, their emotional senses are quite heightened. Uh, that seems to be a yeah. uh, particularity of their species. Um, they do seem to uh, exist in a constant state of rage. It's just <laughs> how it's focused and to whom it's directed seem <laughs> to be the variables on that one. Yep. Um, they also have a very profound arrogance. That we see here, yeah. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call Lantash's stuff uh, anger, um, but but you do get some of the 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 arrogance of we're better than you. Yeah, that's a much better. Yeah. Yep. Uh, arrogance is definitely on the money. Yep. Uh, I, I loved Teal'c's interaction with Apophis. From the very beginning, mm-hmm. when he sees him, and he there you get this look of shock on his face, and he pulls out his Zet gun, uh, mm-hmm. and then his glee—I mean, the look of oh yeah, of, of glee, of, of excitement, of yeah, like oh my gosh, yeah. I don't want yeah. him to be looking me at me at me like that, uh, at at the the pain and suffering of this, and and the downfall of it, and he's like, you'll die with me, and he looks like yeah, hey. But you'll be dead, and I'll be free. So neener, neener, neener. 
Yeah. No, the so and Christopher Judge's acting, especially now, uh, especially after Holiday, like it's been subtle all this time. Yeah. And uh, but I hadn't quite really appreciated how I have I have from time to time appreciated how even though it's really subtle, it's really still effective. But after Holiday, <laughs> after Holiday and watching Richard Dean Anderson attempt to play Teal'c, <laughs> I now have a much better appreciation of how Christopher Judge plays Teal'c. And so all of those small movements of his face that he does, yeah, where, I mean, Christopher Judge does a really darn good job of, like, fully inhabiting a particular emotion and finding the most subtle way to project it through his face. Right. You know, and so, so it's go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Finish up. Okay. The 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 ability to to be in a state of triumph of triumph. I was about to say triumph and something, but you know, like of triumph and uh dark satisfaction, which is where he was when he was standing at the foot of the bed, and also the ability to see through the ruse that Apophis was trying to put up in a way that was where he was or where Teal'c was genuinely amused, Mm -hmm. but not like so amused as to be like, ha 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 ha. He was, he was just, he was just full of a confidence and, uh, a, uh, satisfaction in vengeance, which is very particular. It's a very particular, like emotional state. So he was able to inhabit that space so well that his face, he just, he just, he just, Put on the face that would be the most natural face to put on when you were so fully in that particular state, as opposed to trying to project what it would look like to be in that state. Right. Which is a, a very subtle distinction, but, you know, I think it's important. Yeah. T- t- uh, Christopher Judge is doing a great job of that, and I hadn't really appreciated it until recently. So I'm thinking about uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and the character of Drax, and I'm blanking yeah. on the guy's name who plays Drax. Dave Batista. But B- Okay. Batista. Uh, and especially in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, the first one, frankly, his acting was fine. Right. At best, it was fine. He was a huge, strong, beefy guy who needed to play the beefy character, and he had the right look. But right. he really, at that point in time, did not have the acting chops for it. Right. Uh, as I understand it, he went and did a lot of study and work between the first and the second movie, and I did think that, that he has done a better job of actually acting um, mm-hmm. in later movies, uh, which is great. Uh, but in that first movie, Dave Bautista was not very wonderful. Um, and I'm just thinking here, I mean, here we've got a Christopher Judge, which was certainly cast for this role in part because he's a very tall, thick, yeah. muscular man, uh, and yeah. he's got that look. Um, but I don't know if, you know, but gosh, his acting chops are, are absolutely amazing. Um, and, uh, we didn't get to know about it. We didn't realize it for, for this whole time until these last couple of episodes because they hadn't given him much to work with, but gosh, now you see this and you look back and you're like, he, he acted his ass off on, 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 on not having much already. Um, and, and I'm like. Kudos, good on you. I am. and we have we have seen Teal'c in pretty emotional states before. Uh, I think that how at least I'll be viewing it is that season one and season two. By the end of season two, the actors have found their characters. The writers have as well. Uh, so it's a lot easier to uh, to be as authentic and genuine as can be. Like it's 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 these characters are getting really rich, whereas in season one, we were trying to show that they are rich and now they just are rich and show and show and show Uh, uh, like I'm thinking of um, I think I'm thinking of family and maybe uh, what was the season one episode where I first met Ricardo Maltabon and I can never remember it. And, Um, you know, we're we're going to Chokra and whatever. And and, and Teal'c is sad, sad Teal'c. I can't remember the name you know, of that episode. I'll look it up. Yeah. And uh or the moment where we first met Cassandra on the one planet and and, and we have like calming Teal'c. Uh but you know, like somehow he had to kind of like be really kind of over to the top about it. You know, right. There was there was aspects about it that were they were we were pushing it a little too hard. 
Bloodlines. Bloodlines is the name of the episode you're talking about. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, and it's totally understandable why we were pushing it hard then. Because I mean, season one, we didn't know the characters that well. We were just trying to discover it, right? Now we're in the state where Christopher Judge can stand on set and be lit in just a way and just kind of stand there and 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 have a look on his face. And it's communicating like four emotions all at once. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's it's really good. It's really really good, and it, and that and that goes through the whole thing. Um, uh, Michael Shanks, wh- wh- where Daniel Jackson has his one moment with Apophis, even though it was a bit more brutalistic, it was still pretty darn genuine. Yeah, uh, Samantha Carter's moment. Uh, you know, Amanda Tapping when she was trying to kind of be, you know, wrestling with this with this aspect of herself that still is kind of hard to control, where she's getting these late latent memories from Jolinar, and you know kind of trying to not necessarily feel vulnerable because there's this uh there's this ghoul that can sense her blending uh you know richard dean anderson with star power was doing his richard dean anderson thing but even then it was still working quite well right like he didn't care well well, i mean as we've talked about before richard dean anderson plays colonel o'neill excellently and i mean it's not it's not that i mean you know, there are some people who, who play themselves and then they, even when they're playing themselves, feel kind of wooden or sure. uh, or whatnot. Uh, so, but but that is not the case with, with Richard Dean Anderson. He, uh, you know, he uh, really gets all the emotional beats and he's able to play that character backwards and forwards and do everything he needs to do with that. So it's not like he's... Uh, a, I mean, he's a great actor, um, but you don't want him playing a weird character. Uh, you want him playing right. uh, his character, and he'll give you his character and give you all the emotional things that you need in that character. But don't, you know, don't put him over in that pool. Keep him in this pool. But yeah. he'll great in that pool. It was uh, good. Yeah. Um, you know, I actually, when I was rewatching it this time, uh, I don't know if you picked up on it, maybe not. Um, but when when uh, Jackson was talking with uh, Apophis, especially when he was talking to the host, actually, and not Apophis himself. Yeah. Um, I had uh, flashbacks to uh, James Spader uh, in the movie, uh, and just just that the it sound. I mean, I was like, wow. Uh, it sounds like Jackson, uh, a complete Jackson. So not just a Jackson that that has shakes has developed, but the Jackson that was there even in the movie. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I just it, it it coalesced in my mind like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. I didn't quite have that. Um that totality moment, but uh, I can appreciate it. And also, I mean, I was really thinking to myself, like you know. Um, Granted, it's TV magic, but you know how wonderfully appropriate that uh, that uh, Egyptologist Doctor Jan- Doctor Daniel Jackson is there when a resident of ancient Egypt is frightened and needs words of comfort, and here's this person that can actually provide them. Right, like you know, again, um, it's a, like duh, it's TV magic. But on the same token, it's like that felt that felt great. That, one that one felt of the wonderful. the the cinema tr- cinemagraphic moments that I really really loved is uh, a note that. There's a lot of really close-up shots in this episode. Oh uh, yeah, now that you uh, they're, they're, mm-hmm. the camera is right in the face of all of these characters as they're sitting there. There's, there aren't that many shots that just kind of pull back and and see uh, a lot of things. It's really close-up stuff. And I, there was that scene right when Apophis was dying, or when the ho- the the host was dying, actually. Mm-hmm. And and then the camera just panned from there over to that little statue and it just kind of hung there with that statue for a little bit. Yeah. I was yeah. like, wow, that's some really good cinema cinematography going on there uh, yeah. with that. And it just, uh, just heightened the emotional power of this episode yeah. for me. Um, this is really exciting for me because this is one of those episodes that uh, in previous watchings uh, I've watched it, but then I just kind of let it flow over me and I haven't really, you know, sure. uh, but this time here, you know, because we're rewatching it like this, uh, I'm really 
focused on it. I'm really spaying, pen, spaying, pen, uh, paying attention to it. I'm, mm-hmm. uh, you know, really watching it closely. I'm, I'm watching the camera move and, and all of this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And, and uh, the, the richness of this episode really popped out more so this time than... Uh, Speaking of. Yes. The, uh, the thing, we stuck a pin in the blanket with the, with the Apophis symbol. Oh, yes. So uh, when I was witnessing that, when I was witnessing, so the, the, the blanket over his face had, had you know, some, it, it looked like, um, you know, frankly, it looked like Gould tech fabric or something right like you know it kind of had this this sheen and this pattern that was woven into it and i didn't notice it was an apophis symbol per se but you know like it was definitely uh it was meant to be an honor to be wrapped up in that shroud and then of course they were performing uh a transport of the body in a way that was like a funerary funerary um and they were performing the rite for not only the host, at least this is what I was taking it as. They were performing the right not only for the host, but also for their enemy, which I thought was excellent. If if uh, if humanity's defining uh, element is compassion, and it is something that seems to be uh, uh, poorly understood by other races, and that's like the hallmark. Right. That is like holy cow, dude! Like sign me up. Like that is. Uh, that is a great, in my opinion, that is a great thing to be, uh, uh, to have as a defining feature. Absolutely. And it can manifest itself in showing respect for an enemy that, uh, is vicious. Like Apophis was vicious. Well, and you get that also in Teal'c. Uh, Teal'c mm-hmm. is the one that carries the body, but the body and pushes it through the wormhole. And if, it's fairly certain that nobody hates Apophis on Earth more than Teal'c. Yeah. Nobody is celebrating the death of Apophis more than Teal'c. Yeah. And yet in that moment, there is a reverence as he takes that body and slides it through the wormhole. And you get that yep. in Teal'c, uh, which is absolutely amazing and goes along with everything that you were saying. And you also get that fun line earlier on from uh, O'Neill that says, yeah, that's why we're called the good guys. Right, right. <laughs> and and echoing that theme, um, th- the moment didn't allow for there to be a whole lot of shock about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the characters just kind of had to just like live with the information that they were just given like a bombshell at the tail end. About how, oh, yeah, no, uh, what's his name? Who's the, who's the Satan dude? Sokar. Yeah, Sokar's totally going to pop him into sarcophagus and then torture him forever. Oh, hey, uh, look at that. It's lunchtime. Like, <laughs> it was it was like, w- wait, what? Like, yeah, but the <laughs> like, look of everybody in that moment was like, just you, you see that you saw this this look of, of dread of just like, oh, my gosh, just got punched in the gut. Um, yeah, and of course, you know, like, uh, shoot, what's his name? Dude, Martuf? dude. Uh, Martouf was like, "Don't isn't that what you want, dudes? Like, hey, he's gonna be like eternal damnation, right? Tortured like, forever, hey-oh. right? And it's and so folks and so the characters are appropriately reacting like, ugh, no, that's actually the exact opposite of no, what we were hoping. Yeah, yeah, it's that it's that uh, compassion being the defining mm-hmm. trait of of humans, at least humans from Earth. Um, now in. And again, this might be something, I don't know, you, you do what you want with this little forecast that I'm about to do. Uh, if I were them and I heard that information and I were in their shoes, weirdly, I would be starting to think about how to rescue Apophis from Sokar. Like, like the thought of that he's going to be resurrected and tortured interminably would be enough, even though he was a vicious enemy, for me to be like, well, okay. It's one thing to be uh, certain of your safety because your enemy has died. It's another thing to deliver him into the hand of eternal torment. Like right. that doesn't like that's that's a whole other level. And it, so again, for that, me, that when I be, watch this episode, um, and I see the look of faces, the looks on the faces of of O'Neill and Carter and Daniel and and even Teal'c at that, is that I, I kind of get that idea. Is that what did we just do? Yeah. 
Can we fix it? Can, can we somehow do something that's going to, A, keep us safe, and B, prevent this guy from eternal torment? Because right. that's not cool, and that's not who we are either. Right. Uh, there's not much they can do, and now they're stuck in that place of, I want, need to do something, and I can't, and now I'm stuck, and I have to live with the consequences of the decision that I made. Right. Uh, and that's significant. Yeah. Yep. I think I think that's all I've got to say so, about that. Yeah. All right. So I think then, Brent, this is when I turn to you and I say, mm-hmm. Serpent Song, out of seven chevrons, mm-hmm. how many chevrons does it get? I am a sucker for an emotional story done right. And in my opinion, this was an emotional story done right. It wasn't too. It was not too too over the top. Um, I didn't feel like I got put through the ringer at all. But the strength of its story depended on taking me on an emotional journey, and the story had it, and the production had it, and the actors had it, and so this thing was a complete package. Was it a complete delight? So. To be consistent, nope, this wasn't a seven. Tell you what, though, this one was a solid six, a rock, just rock solid six. It was wonderful. It was enjoyable. It was informative. I think that it 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 gave us some some tease or some some hooks to be telling future stories for. It gave us some opportunity to. Uh, uh, advance our relationship with the big bad guy. Well, with one of the big bad guys, it introduced another big bad guy, like an even worse bad guy. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot in here. It was great, and I very much enjoyed it. Um, am I going to be going completely bananas over it? Nope. So I give it a six out of seven. There you go. Uh, as I think about this episode, um, I like this episode more now than than before. Um, you know, this watch really heightened the value of this episode um, uh, than than previous iterations mm-hmm. of it. Uh, it's not a perfect episode, so it's not going to get that seven, and it's certainly not going to get that awesome eight that uh, <laughs> uh, the Fifth Race got. Yeah. And by the way, you were still wrong for not giving Fifth Race an eight, uh, but whatever. that's 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 a whole other story. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, yep. Okay. So I was vacillating here. I was trying to think, do I give it a six? Do I give it a 5.5? Sure. Where does it fit? Uh, and it is a six. I'm going to agree right. with you, Brent. It's a six. Uh, so, uh, Brent, normally we would go right on to the next episode, but before we do that, sure. I think it's time to take just a moment and look at the Catherine Powers scale. I know. That's part of the reason why I got so excited when you told me that she wrote it or did the teleplay. Yeah. So Catherine Powers this season wrote Thor's Chariot, mm-hmm. uh, which was the sixth episode of the season. And then she wrote also Family, which was the eighth episode of the season. Mm-hmm. And we gave Thor's Chariot, you gave it a three, I gave it a four. Yeah. Family, we each gave it a three. Yeah. Here on Serpent Song, we're each giving it a six. Yeah. So, um... So I had previously said... Looking back here... So when we first developed the Catherine Power scale, I thought it was a linear scale rocketing towards... um, uh, a utopia that is by definition unattainable. Uh, then uh, I started to speculate that it was a sine wave um, with a very regular pattern, or at least I was hoping to find a regular pattern. But uh, now knowing that the first one averaged a 3.5, the second one averaged a three and this one averaged a six that that's completely thrown out of the water. Uh, <laughs> there's there's, I mean, I'm confident that this could be mathematically explained. Uh, that we could create a formula that we can put in a variable at the front of it and then come out with a, an average score at the end of it, uh, you know, at so, any one point. But uh, let, me, let me give you your ratings for the Catherine Powers episodes. All right, all right, hold on. So we started with Emancipation. You gave it a one. Of course. Uh, then we moved to Thor's Hammer and you popped up to a six. It's like, wow. Yes. 
And then we moved to Fire and Water when you gave it a four. Uh, so it's kind of dwindling down. And then Enigma, you gave Enigma a uh, three. So it's falling down just a little bit more. Um, then the next one is... Uh, the next one was... Uh, where is it? Uh, Thor's Chariot. I'm literally the next one. this right now. Yep. Uh, so it still fell at a three. Um, and then we had uh, Family. You gave a three. And then now uh, Serpent Song, you gave a six. So right so now... it went from bad to good to middling to less than middling to good. So, so uh, starting at zero... Uh, one six four three 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 six. Uh, we are starting to draw a cat. We're almost done <laughs> with the ear of the cat, and uh, I expect that uh, we will end up with an episode re- coming up soon. That's going to be either a two or a one, and then if we hit an episode where I feel it's appropriate to literally give zero chevrons, pattern is effectively complete. We uh, that Catherine Powers is really Cat Powers, and that she is making a scale in her own likeness. Oh, there you go, there you go. Well, we'll have to wait and see. I'm looking forward. She does have some more episodes. Um, her next episode is about midway through the third season. Um, and does she have any more that season? Uh, nope. I think she looks like she just has the one in season three. And she's got a few in season four, and then I think by season four she's done. So um, if, if uh, so, I think actually it's going to be kind of important for me to not know the upcoming episodes that she's writing because otherwise it might skew me. But if her next one is around a one, and then the next several are like a two, three, three, two, one, then that last bit will be the body of the cat, and my my scale will be complete. Ah, well, we will have to wait and see. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm excited. (laughs) As I was looking at this, um, the next episode that she writes in season three, I'm looking at the name of it, and it's, um, I'm blanking on it. I can't can't think of which episode that is. So uh, we'll have to wait and see to find out what is going to happen with the, the Catherine Powers. Uh, scale. Hey, uh, Zach. Yes. We're an hour and two minutes into this thing. We got to get a move on. <laughs> oh, we better get. Okay. <laughs> so, so uh, then let's move on. Brent. Yes. The next episode yes. in Stargate SG-1 season two is uh-huh. called yeah. One False Step. Yeah. And so I ask you, Brent, what is One False Step about? The SG-1 team travels through the Stargate to find themselves on a strange world where the inhabitants of the world speak only in dance. The Stargate team is forced to communicate <laughs> with this group of people, for learning how to communicate in a, in a language composed only of movement. Of course, Dr. Daniel Jackson is put on the case, but unbeknownst to us, he's got two left feet. He attempts to communicate a very delicate communication where there's a lot of communicating going on using the word communicate. He discovers that in the process of communicating with his people, he has accidentally taken one false step. Join us next time on Stargate SG-1, where Daniel Jackson can suddenly dance, but he has done it in a flawed way and has put the team in peril. One false step. Bum, bum, bum. How'd I do? Um, well, you hit on some things Uh, and uh totally whiffed on some others. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Shall we watch? Uh, yes, there we go. Okay. Yes, I am ready to watch one, the promo for One False Step. The promo for One False Step. Here we go. Next on Stargate SG-1. I love that. What was that it crashed into? Whoa! A bizarre alien life form. I have never before wow. seen a species. Are they 
friendly, is falling victim to a mysterious epidemic. What if we're causing this? And SG-1 may be the source. Our presence here may make more of them ill. Now, their efforts to find a cure. I'm kind of liking him. I'm liking this jam here. And well, maybe you could try coming with something a little bit better than inappropriate sarcasm. Is turning SG-1 against each other. We're killing a whole race of people here. Oh, How my. On the next oh story, boy. SG-1. Ooh. Okay, if they communicate in, like, movement, then I'm going to pat myself on the back. Um, okay. Yeah, so don't that say is anything. one false step. They, I'm like, not saying anything. Not, not, not one moment, at least I didn't notice, in any moment in that promo did any of those alien dudes actually talk. So if it turns out that they communicate in movement, I am totally giving myself a high five. You are welcome to give yourself a high five. Yeah. If they communicate in movement, yeah. and don't talk. Yeah. Okay. I'm excited. All right. Well, that will happen next time. Uh, until then, tell us what you think about this episode, Serpent Song. Tell us where we got it right. Tell us where we got it wrong. Tell us what we missed as we communicated about this episode. Uh, we using our voice, not our dance, because <laughs> dancing on a podcast is not near as helpful. Nope. <laughs> uh, you know, if you want to talk to us, you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at StargateWalking. Or on Facebook, Walking Through the Stargate, on the Facebook page and the Facebook uh-huh. group. Uh, so join us as we continue this adventure. Uh, yeah. Until then, uh, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.